0: Good morning. Uh, Last hour, I had this music stand up here, and little by little, it just sinks. So um, I'll be on my knees reading off of it like this here in a few minutes, but we're going to see how it goes. Uh, It's great to have you here with us. If you're a guest with us, maybe this is one of your first times here, just want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for spending some of your Sunday morning with us. Um, We we came to this weekend here today um, after a long ride since the uh, second Sunday in September, we have been in a series looking at the book of Romans in the New Testament of the Bible. So we are wrapping up this series today, all right? We've been in it for several weeks, and it's kind of coming to this culmination here this morning. And we've um, come to the end of this series, all right? So some of you are probably excited. Some of you have loved it. Some of you just couldn't stand it. Some of you couldn't wait till we just get to Christmas and fast forward. We're almost there. And I'm going to argue today that as we come to the conclusion of the book of Romans in chapter 16, that this is not a wrap-up for us. That this is not a wrap-up for Paul, the author. That this isn't like, hey, we've come to the end of this series, hope you've enjoyed it, let's put a bow on it and consider it done. Instead, this is what I'm, uh, my argument here for, uh, with you uh, this morning, is that as we come to the culmination of Romans in chapter 16 today, that we are instead unwrapping this thing. Like at the end of chapter 16, after you've endured 16 chapters, that, that today we get to un- unwrap this thing and unleash like its, it's real power, okay? That, that we get to unwrap it and you see in these culminating words that we get to unwrap this gift and, and, and figure out and be just kind of set free to live this really full, abundant life that God promises those of us who know Jesus. That we would be set free to live a life that has purpose, where we collectively are on a mission together to make Jesus' name more famous in our world. And I think as we unwrap this gift today, that is the end of Romans, that we, um, are, we know that we are loved by a really good heavenly father, and that we are part of a brand new family. That's what we get to unwrap today. So we said last, or I should say, going all the way back to September, I said this, that Romans is considered by some to be the most important letter of Paul's in the New Testament of the Bible. Now you can determine if you think that's true. It doesn't really matter what you or I think, but, um, but it has a lot of significance. We do know that, or you will come to find that, okay? So before we go into unwrapping this gift this morning, so it just kind of just blows up all, of, all over this room, all right, I want to talk about and remind us about where we've come, where we've been. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks in this Roman series or for all of it, you're sick to death of hearing this, but let me just, um, just humor me as I remind you and inform those maybe who are guests of what it is we're talking about, All right. The book of Romans in the New Testament of the Bible, where's my Bible? Here it is, um, was written by Paul as a letter to the churches in the city of Rome in about AD 57. So this is about 20 to 25 years after Jesus died and was seen alive again, okay? Now this, this letter reaches the Christians in Rome at a precarious time all right? Because what has happened is, and you might remember me saying this, in AD 49, Emperor Claudius expelled all Jews, especially Christian Jews, from Rome. He believed that this band of religious zealots, all right, had started to cause too much turmoil and have too much influence in his city. So he banned all Christian Jews, all right, from the city. Now, when he died, they came back, okay? The exiles returned, And what they came back to was was a different church than what they left. When they left their churches in Rome, okay, when they had to leave, their churches felt very Jewish to them. The churches were run culturally, they were very Jewish, okay? But five to seven years later when they're returning, they come back to these churches and they look very different. They feel very different because for that time, it was the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Roman citizens who had converted from paganism, put their faith in Jesus, they had been running the show. And so inevitably you have the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, and you have this, this debate in this, in, this, in this faction, okay? And so there's some tension there. And it is into this tension that Paul speaks the letter to the Roman Christians, okay? I want to spend our time uh, this morning um just just actually being just kind of soaking in the actual setting in which this letter was read okay in rome at the time there are about one million people in the first century historians believe that called rome home there's the city of rome and there's probably about 200 followers of jesus And the reason that we think that is, and you'll see that in a minute, is that when Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, which we will read, he lists about 30 names. And based as far as we can tell, that that, that, that represents anywhere from five to eight different households. These churches met in living rooms. This was church. If you were really wealthy, you might be able to fit about 30 people in your house. The working or middle class, eight to ten. So on the high end, this letter is being received in first century Rome by fewer than 200 people in five to eight different house churches scattered throughout the city. This is the setting. In living rooms, people gather together and this letter would have been read out loud to them. Now, when these words are being read out loud, much like you and I take them, all right, there's going to be some intrigue there where people are going to lean in and listen intently because this, this, this is new. This is like this is life. This is truth. All right? There's going to be some things that they're going to hear that are going to cause them to sit back and maybe a little bit like of an armfold because there's going to be some criticisms. There's going to be some critique. There's going to be some challenge to the way that these people used to think and live. And their eyes are going to be opened through so the words that they hear read and out, and out loud in their living room to what this new life in Jesus looks like, what it offers them. This is how Paul's letter would have been received. The big idea, which is printed on the front of your program, says this, and this is what I want you, I want you to circle it, all right? I am not alone. I am not alone. And you're gonna see in Paul's words here this morning, I, I pray, I pray that you will see and know that and, 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 and learn to, to believe that that's true for us today as part of Jesus' church. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 16, all right? If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them at the hub. It's the blue curtained area on your right-hand side when you leave. We have free Bibles. We want you to take one. It's free. We just want it to be yours, okay? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Here's the beginning of Paul's words. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a deacon in the church of Sentria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. Who's Phoebe, and why is she mentioned by name? Well, it's clear that Phoebe is a leader. He says so, okay? Phoebe is a leader in her home church in Sentria, which is a port city in Corinth all right, near Greece, all right. So she is a leader in her church. Now Paul also mentions a few other things about Phoebe that's really important or at least interesting for you and I to know, that Phoebe has been a supporter of Paul's ministry. In other translations, the, the word benefactor actually better explains it. So what we know is that Phoebe is wealthy, all right, that she has been financing much of Paul's missionary work, and for churches perhaps throughout the Roman Empire. So she's got some bank, okay? We also know that Phoebe is a she. And in the first century world, few cultures, if any, put much value on women, okay? They couldn't um, own property. They couldn't sell or buy property. They were considered property themselves in many ways. So Phoebe's a woman, and she's Greek, Okay, Phoebe, for all we know, just months before coming to know Jesus herself, maybe just years before coming to know Jesus herself, she was a former Roman idol worshiper. And it is into this Greek, former idol-worshipping female hands that Paul places his most important letter. Now, I can imagine, though it's not in the text, That Paul is preparing Phoebe's journey to Rome. And so he gives her this letter, and I imagine he's sitting down and they're going through it line by line. She's literally practicing reading the letter to the Romans because she's hearing things that maybe she hasn't heard before. She's reading things in ways that she's never really read them before herself. She's hearing words that she's got to learn how to pronounce just like you and me, right? As we struggle through some of those passages, all right? And Paul's preparing her. I actually imagine Phoebe's going home and she's memorizing portions of this letter because she's gonna travel to Rome and she's gonna go to these five or eight churches that meet in people's living rooms and it's her gonna be her job to sit down and unroll the scroll and start reading it out loud to them. And so Paul's been preparing her for questions she's gonna get, for the rebuttals and the pushback that she inevitably will receive. And I'm sure she's practicing the answers that she'll have to the questions that these Christians will, will have concerning Paul's words to them. So when she's memorized the letter, or portions of it, ready to answer the rebuttals, Paul sends her to Rome. She packs up and she goes. And she's going to arrive in Rome with the full authority of Paul. She is sent as his proxy. Her words represent his, and he got it from Jesus. And she's going to enter into these homes and sit down in this living room and she's going to begin to read this letter that you and I have been reading together. Um, let's go with verse uh, 3. Let's just pick up there because I, I want you to see what it says in verse 3. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me, and I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So, so we get this picture, right? It's very possible the first house Phoebe walks into, she's been on, she's been journeying for many, many days, and she walks in, and it's the home of Aquila and Priscilla, and it's the church that meets in their house. Now Paul mentions he knows Aquila and Priscilla, they're old friends. In fact, what we know from Romans and in the book of Acts, that Aquila and Priscilla were a husband and wife team that were co-missionaries with Paul. In fact, they're really the New Testament's first example of, a, of, of people who perhaps sold their belongings and moved to a foreign city as missionaries in order to make Jesus's name more famous there. One of the first couples that we hear of in the first century in the Jesus movement that said, send us, my husband and I will go. Now that's a cool thing. And I don't know, like, you know, in the future as, as I'll get to stand before you um, with the Lord's blessing and his leading and say, where is White Oak's third uh, multi-site location going to be? Like, it's going to happen, right? Eventually, we'll do it again. And, and I don't know where it's going to be I mean, I have no idea, right? Was it, is it going to be Blue Ash? Is it going to try to go over to the west side of Cincinnati again? Or, or is it going to be West Hamilton or maybe Westchester? Um, I, I don't know, right? But there's going to be a day, right, where me or someone else is going to be standing on this platform and make an appeal to you and say, we're going to this place to launch a third site. Now, who's going to go? Now, that's scary, isn't it? but there will be a call. It's coming. Where I'm going to stand up here and we'll stand up there at Coleraine and we'll say, okay, we need 80 people to go and start this new thing. Just like 80 people did to start this 10 and a half years ago. And who will go? That's the first house that Phoebe stops in. The home of Aquila and Priscilla and the church that meets in our home. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. Can I just ask you to stand for a minute, and I 'll tell you why, don't worry, I won 't ask you to say anything or dance or anything, but if you can just stand, and, and let, let, let me tell you why. all right. Oftentimes you're going to be in a setting, something like this, or a banquet, or, or, or an awards ceremony, and often, I maybe mean, you know, a sports a game, where you're asked to stand in recognition of somebody or something, just kind of to honor a group of people. You may not know them, you may not know why you're standing, but we all kind of do because we feel the peer pressure, just like you feel now, all right? So, um, but I want you to stand today, because I'm going to read, um, starting in verse 5 here in just a second, a list of, of names that Paul included in his letter. And in my heart, I read these names. And I don't don't know these people. They lived 2,000 years ago. But it was because of their faith, because of their risk-taking, because they were willing to surrender their lives to Jesus and go on this journey together, that I want to honor them. So I'm going to read their names out loud. And I want you to hear them as maybe those in the first century heard them, because those people were sitting in the living room with them. But we're just going to read and just stand today just to honor our brothers and sisters who came before us. Verse 5. Greet my dear friend epinetus He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me, they are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampelitutus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, and my dear friend Stiche. Greet Apelles, a good friend whom Christ approves, and greet and give greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus, and give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to my dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and to Olympus and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. You can go ahead and be seated. When I uh, read chapter 16 several weeks ago, knowing that ultimately we would come to this day when this series, as we've been teaching it, is over, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of hoping we'd skip 16, that we would just kind of come to 15 where the meat is, wrap it up, and just kind of launch into Christmas. And as I started reading more about chapter 16, like, I just, honestly, I just thought it was like a list of names, a greeting, and honestly, kind of an anticlimactic way to end such a powerful, important letter. And I don't want us to miss this, because if we miss the fact that there are about, like I said, five to eight households in Rome hearing this letter— Maybe if they're wealthy, like I said, 30 people in each, you're talking about fewer than 200 people sitting in living rooms, listening. In the, now, now, now tell me, here's a side note, something fun to think about. One million people in the city of Rome at this time. How could fewer than 200 of them cause such an impact in that city that Emperor Claudius felt threatened and asked them, demanded that they leave. Now, think about that. That's actually fun to think about. What is it that was about the followers of Jesus in the first century, 180 of them in a, in a city of one million, that caused such an impression that the emperor kicked them out? That's fun to think about. But they're back. Nero is Emperor now, and in a few years he'll start putting Christians on stakes and lighting them on fire in his gardens during parties. But not yet. That's coming in a few years. But for now, Phoebe sits in their living room, reading these letters. This letter. So what does the church look like? I'm OK, so they're, they're meeting in households, um, but who made up the church? Who was there? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, it, it's an interesting thing as I got to reading about it. Um, most of the middle class and working class people in the city of Rome at this time lived in apartment style housing, okay, stacked on top of each other, okay? Many of those people who would have been business owners would have been working out of their home. Some of you may work out of your home. It's a little more rare that people here in the United States uh, actually operate their, their like public business out of their home, but in Rome that was very, very common, their front room, their kitchen, their living room, was also the place where people came and bought meat, bought bread, right? bought um, hides after they'd been prepared and tanned, bought shoes, okay? So, so many of these working class, middle class people lived in apartments, all right, with lots of neighbors, operating a business with lots of, of customers coming in and out. Some of the, the, the wealthier middle class would have had tenants living in apartments that they owned above them. So a lot of tenant housing. Now, if you're really wealthy, all right, you're in Rome, you have a single family home. And there were neighborhoods in ancient Rome that had the single family homes, all right? They would have, they would have slaves living in their houses too, as well as possible tenants. Now, of all the names that I just read, some of them are Greek. Many of them are Jewish. And a few of them are Latin. So, in these apartment style houses, some single family, but most cramped, you have at least three different languages represented there, and as many, and it's possibly that many or more ethnicities slaves, freed slaves, men, women, rich, poor, business owners, working class, children. Old, young, all coming together in these living rooms. The Jews, believing that their Old Testament religious law is what gave them privilege. And the Gentile Christians, believing that the Jews were silly and that real privilege came from your social power and status. Guys, let me tell you something. The first century church in Rome was an eclectic group of people. In fact, it would have been the most eclectic group in the first century Roman world. And so Phoebe steps in. Do you imagine she's nervous? You would be. So would I. She's coming to deliver this letter of people she's never met before. She knows they're going to love a lot of the things she says, And they're really going to be bothered by a lot of the things she says. So she takes out her scroll and she unrolls it. She sits amongst them and she begins to read these words. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, she's going to read Paul's words. This is what it said. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. So one of the first thing out of Phoebe's mouth is it's Jesus only that saves you. So she's got to look at these these Jewish Christians in the eye. Now remember, she's not Jewish, She used to to sacrifice animals to to pagan Roman gods, and she's a woman. And there she's sitting with Paul's full authority, saying, it's Jesus and Jesus only. And so she looks at the Jewish Christians, because she's not one of them, and she says, brothers and sisters, your laws and your religious practices, I know you know what day of the week to come to church, I know you know to pray before you eat dinner every night with your family. I know you know some of the rules and I know maybe your, your grandma was a Christian and maybe your mom and dad took you to church when you were younger and she said, and that's all great, but it means nothing. And then she has to turn to the, to the Gentile Christians and she's part of that group. And she says, I know you think, Then remember she's very wealthy, she would have been an elite. And she says, I know you think guys that our social status I mean, we're Romans. And I know you think that gives you privilege an advantage to carve out faith as you think it should look, but it doesn't. You have no advantage. And then she looks at both groups as they're mixed in the room, and she says the only advantage we have is our faith in Jesus. Period. So when you came and you sat in this living room this morning, It's a fresh start for everybody. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your religious background is or isn't. I don't care where your mama went to church. Because today, in the name of Jesus only, we start out on a level playing field. And it is through faith alone that we are reunited with God. She goes on. I don't know how long it took her to read, hour or two, people stopping her left and right to ask questions, to argue with her. But she gets to Romans chapter six, verse eight. She says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Remember, people were still living who had seen Jesus alive, right? This wasn't fairy tale. This was like eyewitnesses sharing their accounts. I saw him alive. This is very fresh. It's only 20 some years later, okay? Death no longer has any power over him. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Phoebe says, listen guys, now that you know, you know that it's your faith in Jesus alone that saves us and makes us right with God, then know this now, you've been transformed You are no longer who you were in your former life before you met Jesus. Jesus has literally transformed your life. You are in Christ now. He is a part of you. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. You are dead to your former life and you are very much alive to this new one in Christ. We have a hard time letting go of the things that we used to be and do and say and believe. And Phoebe says, Because when Christ died, he eradicated the eternal punishment of sin in your life. It's dealt with. Move on. You're new. And every day you walk this journey in faith, Phoebe reminds them in chapter 6, every day that you walk this journey of faith, the Holy Spirit is transforming you more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus that you've been transformed once and for all in the name of Jesus because of your faith and his death on the cross. But also, get this, transformation is constantly happening. As your faith builds and you give more trust to the Holy Spirit, he transforms your life more and more to look like Jesus every day. And then she keeps reading, more questions, more arguments, and then chapter 12 she gets to this point. She says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. She says, guys, here's my themes for you. Here's what Paul says. Jesus only. You've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now love wins the day. And she looks at these people in the eye. Remember, think, remember the background? Remember the, the, the v- variety of people in the room? She's like, guys, listen. Now, she just kind of shuts the scroll for a minute. She's like, I got I to level with you. If we don't love well, then the light of Jesus Christ will not shine outside to our neighbors. Then this empire, which is shrouded in chaos and paganism and darkness, will never know the light of joy and hope in their heavenly father. And she looks at these people, eight people in this one room, maybe 20 in the next house, and she's like, this is on us. We've got to love each other, everyone, and we've got to learn to love them well. Because the fame of the name of our good father and our Lord Jesus Christ, it's on us to make his name famous. It falls to his church to shine his light in a dark city. And that's how Phoebe reads chapter 12 to them. This life in first century Rome for Christians is a life that is in Christ. And this is Paul's message through this, through this rich woman. His life in first century Christian Rome looks like this, Folks. Life in 21st century Ross or Colerain Township or Cincinnati, Ohio looks like this church. It is a life and a new identity. Because everybody that came into those living rooms to sit down that day, before they knew Jesus, they came in with some formed identity, didn't they? They came in from the houses up on the hill, the wealthy. They swept the floor where animals were, were, were messing around here just an hour before the company came for church and the working class and the poor and the middle class. They all came together in one room in this little house. They all came with their formed identities. Slaves, free, male, female, young, old, poor, rich. And we come with our formed identities too. And some of those are just like our roles as mom, dad, um, son, daughter, husband, wife. Coach, boss, CEO, student, employee, rich, not as rich, hurting, broken, popular, lonely, divorced, gay, straight, churchgoer, religious, not religious. And Phoebe gets to read some truth to these all of those formed identities. And she says, that's not who you are anymore. Jesus told Paul, Paul wrote it down, he's asked me to come here and tell you, that's not who you are anymore. You are in Christ now. You had a formed identity before you met him, but now that you have, you are in him. Your identity only comes from him. And life in Christian Cincinnati, and life with, in Christian Colerain, or life in Christian Ross, life in Christian Hamilton or Fairfield takes on a whole new life because it's in Christ. It's in Christ. We exist and identify only with him. And then as she presses the issue, she says, and so you share that identity with all of your brothers and sisters. Paul's favorite word to describe the Christians in Rome, and don't think it was just he landed there because it was easy. He was driving home. A major point to to the Christians in Rome, he called them brothers and sisters. You are siblings now. You are siblings, you're family. You have a new identity and you have a new family. You're brothers and sisters now with all the believers in the city and all over the world. And their ideal vision of their future, Paul says throughout the book, is that your life is a Christ-formed life. That every decision you make, every time you look to love someone or not, every decision you make for your future, every relationship you enter, every time you open your mouth, every time you get a dollar in your hand, and all the ways that you spend and treat those things has been formed by Jesus. That's what life in first century Rome was to look like. I have a feeling... It's what's it's supposed to look like now. And this pattern, this new pattern for their lives, Paul and Phoebe are going to say, it means that you say no to some of the things that used to make up your life. And you turn around and you say yes to the things that now, now form your life, which is Jesus. You're sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing else matters compared to that. And then she starts to wrap up. She's done now. I don't know if it's been two hours or if it's been six, but she's done. She's going to wrap up. And I want to read to you how people 2,000 years ago would have heard from Phoebe. Her voice probably not shaking as much now after two or three or six hours of reading, but very much on fire for the truth that she believes in the words that she's received from Paul. This is what she says, starting in verse 19. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that powerful? May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then more names. Why? Listen, listen. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings to as one of the Lord's followers. Paul is orally dictating this letter, and he has a scribe who is writing. And his name's Tertius. He names himself and says, hey, I want to, I love you guys too. Gaius says hello to you. He is my host and also serves as host to the whole church. This Gaius is probably a wealthy man who has opened his home and all of his resources for the kingdom of God to use it. Erastus, the city treasurer, I'm guessing also a wealthy man, Send you his greetings, as does our brother Quartus. Now, all glory to God, who was able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you, Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And I can imagine Phoebe rolls up her scroll, tucks it away, probably shares a meal with them, and then walks out and makes her way to the next location to read that all over again. You are not alone. I think that's what chapter 16 says. Man, Paul didn't just write this letter just to, just to tack on a few things at the end. Man, he, he's too purposeful in all of his words. I think Paul gave this to Phoebe and he gets all of these names because he wanted something, he wanted them to know something like he wants you and I to know it, that we are not alone, that we come from a long line of men and women, brothers and sisters, imperfect people from all different backgrounds who put their faith in the only name that makes any sense, and that's Jesus. And we're not alone. You're not alone. We've been given a new name, And we belong to a new family. And I have a hunch that there's a lot of people in this room today that need a new name. That need a new family to belong to. And I'm telling you now, you're not alone. And finally, this is something I want us to reflect on this morning. And the band will come out and they'll just play for a minute and I'm just gonna ask you where you are in your seat to bow your head and to talk to our Heavenly Father and if you're not comfortable doing that maybe you'll just sit where you are and you'll just kind of just consider it in your heart and that's okay too god has a plan for you i mean people say that all the time oh god god's got a plan yeah whatever you know no listen paul says he's been planning this since the beginning of time do you understand that since before the creation of the world god has had this eternal plan and the plan was jesus And that's what Paul wanted us to know. I think Paul says this, like he's got a plan for you, and and it's Jesus. If you're feeling lonely, the plan is Jesus. If you're feeling hurt or broken by the relationship in your life or divorce, and you're confused by all of that, God's plan for you has always been Jesus. If you're confused and struggling with sexuality, God's plan for you is Jesus. If you think that you've just got it going on and that whatever religious practices that you have in your heart to, to practice, it's enough. God's plan for you has always been Jesus. And I think he writes out those names so that Urbanus knew that from the beginning of time, God's plan for him was Jesus. So that Julia would know. So that Narcissus would know. So that Aquila and Priscilla would know so that Olympus would know, so that Nathan would know, so that you would know that God's plan for you has always been Jesus. So I'm asking you today, in your seat where you are, to talk to our Father, to thank him and ask him to work that plan in your life. that you would surrender to it and trust it and be transformed by it. Pray with me. Holy God, a brand new identity, a brand new name, and a brand new family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who came before us. Thank you for the journey and the way that they've paved for us. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.